stumbled onto the sleeping giant. Let's broaden our minds. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sleeping Giant podcast. I am your host, Grayson Parker Marcott, and I'd like to say thank you for joining me once more. It's been a busy month since our last show, and we've certainly been busy here at the Marcotte household. My wife has recently wrapped up her last sketch card set for Tops, and has transitioned to overseeing our daughter's education at home, which is, of course, it's a job unto itself. Speaking of sketch cards, that is a topic we're going to tackle in this episode, so there's that to look forward to. Hopefully Maggie will have agreed to hop on and chat to us about it for a while. The MCU speculation engine should be in full swing, too, as we are only half a year away from the next Avengers film, whose reshoots began uh, this last week, uh, possibly two weeks ago, apparently. The biggest news, of course, has been the release of several still images from the upcoming Captain Marvel film starring Brie Larson, and we'll touch on those, too, of course. Finally, we're going to include the first of our Star Wars Episode Nine speculations, and that had ought to be a gas. So y'all go on and get comfy, because we are about to begin. The week and a half prior to this recording saw the release of several still images from the new Captain Marvel film, courtesy of Entertainment Weekly. At first blush, I have to say they were a bit underwhelming. Perhaps uh, not quite as showy as I'd expected or hoped for. The highlight for me, though is a tie between Brie Larson in a uh, sort of 90s-era Carol Danvers uh, getup. She's uh, got a leather jacket on and a Nine Inch Nails tee. And the um, I'd say the other one that's tying for my favorite photo so far is that of uh, Ben Mendelsohn as a scrawl, which is, which is pretty cool. Uh, a user on my Instagram feed who goes by the moniker at Superhero DIY, he was quick to point out that the shot of the scrawls on the beach was reminiscent of uh, an image of a boy band or something you'd see on a boy band's album cover and i have to agree it 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 doesn't take anything away from the photo of course and possibly even enhances it but i suppose that's uh I suppose that's neither here nor there i do have to admit that i'm not on the up and up when it comes to captain marvel and my familiarity with the character only includes the first uh, few issues of the relaunched Avengers title, and then of course the first issue of the relaunched Captain Marvel title. Um, so there's that. Uh, I, I do recall that when Carol Danvers was Miss Marvel, she was left in a coma after Rogue had siphoned away her super strength, stamina, flight, and invulnerability. And um, all that, of course, I recall from the animated series from the early 90s. So I'm not certain how accurate all of that is as far as the you know, the Marvel canon is concerned. So, uh, so yeah, um, I kind of prefer going into some films as a non-fan though, because there, there isn't as much at stake for me personally. And I reckon I'm just easier to please that way. Uh, still the photos were kind of meh. Um, even if we get to see Ronan, the accuser and Korath sort of pre guardians of the uh, galaxy volume one, that, that was pretty cool. My uh, my friend Chris, um, actually, we were discussing these photos, and he expressed interest in the notion of seeing Ronan and Korath as something more than, uh, and I quote, primary and secondary villain, respectively. Um, so I'm I'm down with that. Chris also put forth an, um, an interest in finding out how she'll become known as Captain Marvel, since the name Captain Marvel is, you know, a very 70s era thing, sort of a larger than life comic booky persona so i'm i'm wondering you know some of these movies seem, seem to take on 
or try to impress more of a, a realism. So curious to see where we're going with that. Again, if we sound ignorant, it's because we are. And I both welcome and encourage you to shoot us a message if you'd like to fill us in on some of that Captain Marvel information or some of those details that maybe should be obvious and, and I just missed. So uh, definitely looking forward to that and seeing what she's all about. I'd say it's about time we have a major MCU film with a female lead, so I am quite looking forward to that. Naturally, there's been a hint of rumbling from sweaty-palmed fanboy trolls getting ready to let the internet know exactly how they feel um, about the future being female, and of course, I welcome them to drink a nice warm glass of Shut the Hell Up, as my friend Ben Stiller might say. My hospitality um, will no doubt go unnoticed and underappreciated, and that's okay. We'll, uh, we'll all live, and the Marvel machine will keep chugging along. It looks like we are going to finally get some time to sit down and talk to Maggie Ransom about art and artist sketch cards, and maybe a little bit about the fandoms on which some of them are based, as well as what separates fan art from an artist sketch card and or licensed sketch card. I promise it's actually far less confusing than how I made it sound just now. I've, I've realized I have a tendency to do that. I apologize. I remember the first sketch card, um, or sketch cards, I should say, that I ever saw. They were beneath the glass counter at Titan Cards, which is a, a card and game shop just up the street a ways. One of the cards was of Darth Maul from a card set, um, with which I'm not certain right offhand, but the others were illustrations of special agents Fox, Mulder, and Dana Scully, as well as assistant director Skinner you know, from the television show The X-Files. Um, surely you uh, remember that. If not, you should be beaten firmly about the head and shoulders, I would reckon. Um, but anyway, all those cards were part of IDW's limited set of sketch cards they did in 2014. The The concept, when when I first laid eyes on it, it really kind of blew my mind. So so for me, it's pretty wild that my wife is creating licensed artwork for Star Wars and that her work is literally approved by Lucasfilm. So I'm incredibly proud and proud of her. She's a wonderful artist, and I've known that for almost a decade now. And now, theoretically, the rest of the world is going to see that too. Anyway, let's get to it and see what Maggie had to say. Okay, we finally caught a chance to sit down again with Maggie Ransom and talk a little bit about artist sketch cards and her work that she has done for Tops. How you doing tonight, Maggie? I'm good. I'm glad that you could join me again. <laughs> okay. So, um, so tell us a little bit about your work with Tops and creating artist sketch cards for Tops. What is an artist sketch card? It is a card that an artist has sketched on. Awesome. So what have you done for Tops exactly? Um, so far, I've done four card sets. Uh, three of them have been Star Wars. I've done Galaxies, Masterwork, and um, Galactic Files. And I have also worked on the upcoming Stranger Things card set. Oh, yes. I'm really looking forward to that. And this set is just season one. So each time they release a new set, I guess it'll be um, themed by season. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. You remember when I first started collecting Star Wars, the Journey to the Force Awakens stuff? You remember I was going through those cards and I was like, you know how awesome it would be if they did strange things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and here yeah. we are. I'm so excited about that. I remember the day I got the email because they... They usually send out a list of upcoming sets, but they were keeping that one uh, secret, I guess. And when I got the email, I remember being so excited to tell you about it. Yeah, I was very excited to hear about it. That was awesome. Still is awesome. Can't wait till you can show those off and we can start order ordering those by the box. Yeah, it's really soon and come out in um, October. Yeah, that is. Yeah, wow. That is right around the corner. Mm -hmm. So you create artist sketch cards for tops right now. And uh, with with sketch cards, there is a huge community that surrounds collecting, trading, and selling sketch cards. But you see a lot of different, you see a lot of names. You see sketch card, you see artist sketch card, you see 
AP, AR? What what is the difference between all of those different terms? Um, well, you have just um, ATCs, which are artist trading cards, and those are usually traded between artists. Um, like you said, there's a big community, and I didn't realize that until I got on board with Tops. But um, I've made a lot of friends in that community, and I've traded already um, with a few of those people. And um, it's just a way for us all to collect each other's art. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. And um, then there's APs. That stands for Artist Proof, which is what you receive um, back when you do licensed work for a company like Topps. Um, like, for instance, if I do 40 cards for them, they will send me five extra to keep for myself. Um, and I can either keep them or sell them. But um, that provides a little extra income for the work you do on a set. So that's the artist return. And are those given to you randomly? Or do yeah, you get artist to pick return those? or artist proof. Um, but um, they, you get to choose which ones you keep and you have to mark them carefully. Gotcha. So that you're guaranteed to get them back. So I guess an artist return or an artist proof, traditionally speaking, the proof would be the ones that you selected to represent your best work. Yeah, yeah, you can pick any, and obviously you want to pick your best ones, especially if you intend to sell them or, um, you know, just show them off. Yeah. <laughs> Repeatedly. I know, I know, yeah, I know that, that people I mean, like to show it off. Yeah, the ones you don't get to keep, you know, you take pictures of them and you show them off, but that that's it. Once they're gone, they're gone. With an artist proof, you can, you know, display them several different ways. If you have, like, a show or a table at a con or something, you can display them or sell them, so. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, have you, has it become normal for you yet or is it still exciting? Um, I think, uh, you know, with each set you put about, for me, I usually select between 30 and 40 cards each set, um, you know, cause I'm stay at home mom and being a mom is a full time job. So, I know. <laughs> so, um, you know, I usually try not to push it too far cause I want to make sure I can get them done within the time limit, but. Um, I'd say I put about a hundred hours into each set. So with the first set, you know, a hundred hours, you know, gets you pretty used to it. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, like I said, when they announced Stranger Things, I had been doing Star Wars for so long at that point, cause I had already worked on two sets, you know, so I put a lot of hours into that. So that kind of reignited the excitement for me. That's awesome. So how, how did you come about doing that? How did you um, come about creating licensed art for tops through word of mouth. Um, I did know a couple of artists, I guess, uh, mostly through you actually, who, um, had worked for tops and they saw my work and encouraged me to, um, send an inquiry and I did and I got in. So let's see, you, you have done work for star Wars. You have done work for stranger things, which is coming out soon here. Uh, let's see. What is another big property that they've got? I think The Walking Dead. That's kind of one of the others that we're interested yeah, in. Yeah, I really would. You know, I love The Walking Dead. Obviously, you know that we love The Walking Dead. But um, I really wanted to work on a Walking Dead set. But um, when an email was sent with an announcement for that set, I had already accepted work for Masterwork. Um, which I'm very glad I did take that set because it's absolutely gorgeous and it just released this month. But um, I unfortunately had to turn down The Walking Dead because I didn't have time because the deadlines were too close on another set that I was working on. Yeah, that that is disappointing, but hopefully you'll get your chance. The Walking oh, yeah. Dead has another season coming up and there are always offshoots of existing material. Yeah. So working... With Stranger Things and then previously Star Wars, what was it like moving from one property to the next? You know, initially I was super excited to be done with Star Wars for a while. I was, because I had done two sets of Star Wars back to back. And by that point, I was just so sick of Star Wars. But, <laughs> what? Hey, 200 hours of Star Wars. Is an appetizer. <laughs> Well, it's a little different than sitting down and watching yeah. films and reading comics. But um, 
Which is not all I do, for the record, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Well, it was funny because I thought, I was like, yes, I'm so sick of Star Wars. It'll be so nice to work on, you know, another fandom that I love so much. And um, because I love Stranger Things. So I worked on that. But strangely enough, when I was done with Stranger Things, I took on another Star Wars set. That was Galaxies, I believe. Or Galaxy. Star Wars Galaxy. And I was really happy to get back to Star Wars. I guess because I had gotten so comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. And Stranger Things, you know, felt just kind of alien to me after working so much on Star Wars. So that when I was done with Stranger Things, I was really glad to get back to Star Wars. Yeah, there aren't many sci-fi elements to Stranger Things, comparatively speaking, as far as the characters go. Because they're Mm -hmm. all kids. Yeah, that was kind of weird, just drawing kids <laughs> well, lots of kids. I, I will admit that was kind of strange, and I wasn't the only artist working on that set to say, you know, it's kind of weird just sitting here drawing children. But, mm. you know, there was the um, uh, Demogorgon, and um, I actually, you know, I, I kind of stretched it. I found things to draw that weren't people because I got a little tired of just drawing people. Um, so I drew, um, the cat hissing when L goes up to it in the lab. Oh yeah. Um, I remember that scene. And I drew, um, oh gosh, I'm forgetting his name. The, the boy that disappears, Will, right? Yeah. Will yeah, Byers. Will. Nobody remembers Will. Poor Will. I know. It's cause you know, it all centers around him, but he's never <laughs> yeah, there. He's not even At least there. in season one. But um, no, I drew his dog when he goes to um, Castle Byers, I think he calls it, his little mm-hmm. fort in the woods, and he goes and lays on the bed in there, like he's waiting for Will to come oh, back. Yeah. So I remember I was, that too. That was sad. Yeah, I was finding like, you know, every excuse I could to not draw people after I had drawn like every character <laughs> once from Stranger Things. Yeah. Who is your favorite character to draw from Stranger Things? Um, who did I, who did I do that really good Mr. Clark <laughs> had a lot of fun pimp. drawing the mustache, mm. and that one came out great. And then I did a really good Steve. He yeah. was fun to draw. But I think L had the most expressive, um, like, just face to work with. So she was fun to draw um, in a way, but she's not my favorite character, but I had a lot of fun drawing her. Yeah, a lot of range of emotion with that yeah. particular character. Oh, what... Uh... His name is escaping me right now. Finn Wolfhard, his character. Uh, Mike. Mike, Mike yeah. Wheeler. Did you draw any of Mike? Yeah, I drew a couple of Mike, and they actually both came out really good, because he has a very interesting face. And the more interesting someone's face, the, the easier it is for me to draw them. Like, the more angular, like, if they have a larger nose or a small chin, that makes it easier, because they're more distinct from other people, you know? Mm, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. I wouldn't have thought of that initially yeah but people who are like just you know symmetrical attractive they're actually harder for me to draw (laughs) because there's not a lot that separates them from any other person right so like i struggled a little bit with um hopper because he just has kind of a normal face you know and i really wanted to do a great job with hopper and I, i did a good job um i just you know there's something sometimes there's something that's just a little off yeah, you hear that, yeah. Mister at DK Harbor? You have a normal face, <laughs> a handsome normal face. A handsome normal face. Yeah, it's a shame we missed him at Tampa Bay Comic Con. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of who else. There are just faces that are harder to draw, and it's not necessarily if they're symmetrical. There are just certain faces that are harder to draw, like all across the board. If you look at artist trading cards, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. There's something about his face that is very difficult. To <laughs> yeah. Nail, yeah, he's got know? he's got a lot going on in his face at any given There's time. There's a lot he, of lines. Yeah, you know? a lot of lines. He he is very expressive, also. Mm-hmm. Andrew Lincoln, um, I've heard is hard to draw, and I've seen in other people's where he appears like he's hard to you know get just right. Right. So actually, it's funny that kind of leads me up to one of the next things I wanted to ask you. Uh, what is the most challenging aspect of creating licensed material? Um, well, now, um, and hopefully it's okay to say this, but they push photorealism. 
and uh, that's actually pretty widely known between artists because before you even try to apply with tops you know people will tell you they push the photorealism um which isn't so hard for me but i did struggle with it on my first set because i wasn't that's actually this will answer your question the scale is mm. difficult because you know the trading cards are very small and to get photorealism which requires a lot of detail on that sort of scale that's very difficult and the first set i had um which was galactic files i yeah. struggled a lot in getting that detail in there and that set came out a little more cartoony than i would have than i was aiming for but um after that i really adjusted to the scale and um masterwork turned out beautiful i was really proud of my work yeah. on that and then um Stranger Things, I got a lot of great detail in there. And then actually, the last that I worked on, Galaxy, was probably my best work. I was very proud of every single card I made for that set. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember. It's, it's weird because I kind of have a bird's eye view of everything that you're doing with these cards. So I kind of catch it from the work in progress to the finished product, but I don't necessarily always get to really look at each card as you're doing it. And I, for some reason I was confusing galaxy with masterwork, but now I, I remember your galaxies card. That's uh yeah, those, that one is very special. And you all listening, when you get a chance to actually see these, when they come out, they, they are pretty phenomenal. You're, you're going to love them. Yeah. I think that's that uh, drops in November. Oh man. That's, it seems so far away now. Yeah. Jeez. That was the one I did. I actually did grayscale um, instead of color because I didn't have a whole lot of time to finish Galaxy. I was on a narrower deadline than I had been for any of the other sets. So I ended up doing grayscale and I found that I prefer that and I like the way my work looks overall in grayscale. So I think in future sets I will continue to work in grayscale. And on some of them, I added a touch of color. Like if a character had really interesting colored eyes, um, I would put just a dab of color there or maybe color a lightsaber. But otherwise, it was completely grayscale. Yeah, I think I remember a few of those splashes. I'm, I can't wait to look at it again and see uh, see what's what's popping there. Now, I am curious, what was your favorite card? I guess we kind of figured out now what your favorite set was. But what, out of all the work you've done so far, what has been your favorite card that you've created? Um, probably the one I kept, because um, I decided to keep one artist proof from each subject that I work on. So, like, I've done three Star Wars sets, but I'm only keeping one Star Wars card, and I'll keep one Stranger Things card, maybe. But, um... I chose to keep the Voltex from Masterwork, which is also known as the Crystal Fox or Crystal Critters, as <laughs> Poe calls them. Um, the Crack Fox. But I did a really, I think, a really pretty Voltex, and I just had to keep that because I always, no matter what I'm working on, I prefer the creatures to the, you know, human characters. So whatever I keep it'll be it'll probably be a creature yeah. and that was the one i kept from that that one was pretty gorgeous i remember the just the the colors you chose to go with very almost iridescent um when you're first looking at it and that reminds me we actually posted posted that one as for sale so i'm gonna have to make sure that we uh we take that down or at least mark through it that the uh the Vulptex is not available. you hear that the Vulptex is not available you can look all you want but you cannot have it so what was your least favorite card? Oh gosh. Um, I did a really gnarly what's his name? Steven from Stranger Things. Steve? Steve Harrington? Oh, no, not Steve, sorry. Um the other the other guy. The other love interest of Nancy's. Oh, uh Jonathan? Yes, I can never remember his name. Thank you. Jonathan. Wait, no, is that? Yeah, Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah. I made a really gnarly looking Jonathan and that was actually <laughs> he looked like 
a middle-aged woman. I don't know why. I could not get his face down. But I did another card with Jonathan that came out fine. I guess it was just the angle that I attempted to draw him from. But that was actually, when with each set you get, they give you a very generous one card <laughs> to... You still have to send it to them, but you can tell them, please destroy this card, burn it, do whatever you must, but make sure no one ever pulls this from a pack, please. <laughs> <laughs> and that was definitely my Stranger Things card that I asked them to be rid of. Mm. That is a shame. That is a shame. <laughs> so you you primarily you worked for Tops. Is there... Would you ever consider working for another trading card company? Is there anyone that you have your eye on? Yeah, um, I actually, and I'm trying to get my timing just right. If if they'll even take me, I know, um, you know they have a very high standard. But I would love to work with Rittenhouse. I believe is the company mm -hmm. name um, on their next and I guess last Game of Thrones set. At least yeah, as far as the yeah, season goes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who knows what they decided yeah, I'd to do. I'd love to work on Game of Thrones Season 8 for Rittenhouse because Game of Thrones is one of those, you know, one of my diehard fandoms. So yeah, I'd I would love to get in on that <laughs> while I still have the chance because who knows if they'll do anything else after the last season. Oh, I'm out. sure. As long as it's making money. Um, the Valyrian Steel set was a, you know, it was a set apart from a seasonally based card. Well, yeah, uh, but it's like as compared to tops, they don't do nearly as many. Yeah, that's true. Other sets as you know. That is true. So. Yeah, that would be outstanding. Um, I would certainly love to see what you could come up uh, with for for Written House. Um, let's see. What would be your like if you could if you could work uh, on any set. For any any company in particular, it doesn't necessarily matter. Of course, if you're familiar with their rules, then then might that might make a difference or matter. But what would your dream set be like? What what, what would you want to work on the most? Like if a company took on any yeah any property and they said, okay, mm -hmm. we want you to do these artist sketch cards for this uh this particular property or or universe. Um, you know. I'd want to say Harry Potter just because I love Harry Potter so much, but I love the books and pretty much any imagery would be coming from the film, so I'm not going to say that one. Um, you know, I'd actually love if anybody ever took up, um, like, the Conjuring universe. That would be awesome. There's yeah. not a whole lot to work with there, but, you know, maybe one set would be really great. To work on because i love all of the conjuring films there's some pretty horrifying imagery mm -hmm. throughout uh, all three of those movies now i guess there are well the annabelle counts so i guess yeah. there are four and i guess there's going to be a fifth with the crooked man whenever that what? comes about yeah i'm pretty sure the crooked man's that. getting his own film wow okay yeah um but yeah, you know, with the conjuring one and two and annabelle and the nun so far there's you know, there's a lot to work with there. Um, I think if you did more than one set, you might start getting a little repetitive, but um, that would be really fun to work on for sure. Anything in particular that you would want to draw? Well, certainly the nun. I think she makes the most powerful image from any of those films. She's just horrifying to look <laughs> at. Yeah. And I love, um, you know, specifically um, the portrait that Ed Warren paints of her is particularly terrifying, more so than when, you know, you see the actual demon Valak. Oh, yeah. Point. I know. I love how sort of cavalier he is about the whole thing. He's like, oh, I couldn't sleep, so I thought I would just, you know, paint, paint this, this horrible horrifying image. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought it might lull me back into no, a I feel calm so sorry of... for their child. Because, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, at the, in one point, you've got her dad painting this terrifying painting. And then, and that's in The Conjuring 2. And at another mm -hmm. point in that movie, you know, she's sitting there putting, very innocently, putting beads on a bracelet. And her mother just starts stabbing her Bible with scissors mm. and carving letters into it. Yeah, just another day in the Warren household, I guess. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and then of course there's the room that's completely off limits. Yeah, yeah. yeah the the little museum they have going mm-hmm. with all the demonic objects and possessed dolls and whatnot. Yeah, I'm sure she's well adjusted. <laughs> no problems there. Right. Well, uh, that about wraps up uh, pretty much everything I wanted to ask you. Is there anything that you'd like to add or anything that you wanted to talk about as far as the set is concerned uh, that you're working on? Or I'm sorry, that you last worked on or anything you'd like to interject about the work that you've done? Not really. Just, um, you know, like I said, I didn't really know about the community of sketch card artists out there, but there are some really great artists out there. So even if you aren't a sketch card artist, just, um, you know, get on Instagram and search the tag sketch cards, sketch card artists, tops artists, and uh, check out some really awesome art. Um, I know a couple of my favorites are Matt Applegate Draws, I believe is his username. Yeah, at Matt Applegate Draws. Mm-hmm. And um, Dark Lighter Illustration. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember their exact username. Yeah, it's username. at Dark Lighter underscore illustration. Yeah, yeah okay. both those guys are fantastic. Yeah, they're two of my favorites, but they're just, you know, there's a lot of amazing artists out there. Um, so Yeah, Kate Carlton lives just up the road incidentally yeah she's done some work i know she did rick and morty recently didn't she yeah i think so yeah i, I don't know what com- company has that license but um cryptozoic i think oh yeah yeah know, they, they had the walking dead prior to tops really I didn't mm-hmm. know that. that's cool yep yeah a lot of great art out there guys um you know like we were saying we really just had no idea that this community existed and that it was so popular um one of the other great things about being a collector of sketch cards is that uh, kind of in the same vein as, uh, you know, Maggie creating them. We've just met so many wonderful people. We've met so many talented artists and, and you know, talk to these people on a regular basis. And they, they've really become fast friends. And it's just an amazing way for collectors and creators and just people in general to, uh, you know, talk to each other on a personal level. It's a, it's a whole world that I didn't even know existed. And I mean, and that's you know, that transcends the, uh, the U S border too. I mean, there are folks mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, in Europe, um, that I never would have imagined that we would get to meet or talk to. And it's been great. Yeah. And they're all very supportive. You know, we're all really supportive of each other's work and what we're trying to do. Um, so that, that really helps when you're, you know, on your 80th hour working on a set of cards, you know, <laughs> You can go onto social media and find a little support or somebody who says they're going through the same thing (laughs) or, you know, just um, trying to meet the deadline. You know, they've got two days left and 10 cards. Don't know how they're going to do it, but they've got to make it happen, you know. So it's nice to have somewhere to go and see so many people going through the same thing. Yeah. you know, doing the same things and just being supportive of one another. Yeah. In short, it's it's just a really positive thing and it's a great place to be and, and hang out. So where can people find you on Instagram? Um, my art Instagram is Maggie underscore Ransom. It's just my name separated by an underscore. So it's at M-A-G-G-I-E underscore Ransom. Mm-hmm. Cool, man. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that we got the opportunity to sit down and do this again, and hopefully we'll be able to do it again in the future. I know we were talking about doing some commentaries, which I think will be pretty cool. Yes, conjuring commentaries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would like to do that. I think that would be fun. If you guys think that's a good idea, definitely, you know, shoot us a message. Um, you know, leave a comment on the Facebook page once this goes live, because we definitely like to know what you think. I know we would like to do a Stranger Things commentary at some point. That might oh, be, yeah. be for the like a long-term kind of project. That might be kind of cool. Maybe leading up to season three, doing episode or two at a time. Anyway, we'll see. It's all uh, it's all possible and and possibly all in the works. So I guess time will tell. All right. Well, thanks again for being here. You're welcome. And I'll uh, probably talk to you just uh, as soon as the press stop here. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, what would the Sleeping Giant podcast be without a segment devoted exclusively to Star Wars? Worthless, I know. But seriously, I 
think that the previous segment of this show disproves that pretty thoroughly. Now, when I was developing ideas for this month's show, I thought that I'd like to have people write in with their predictions for Star Wars Episode Nine. Because how do you even Star Wars without letting your fan theories and story predictions go buck wild on an unsuspecting public? You you just don't do that. So um, I decided um, I decided to take that a step further and include a feature that several other podcasters incorporate into their show. And I'm sure that if you listen to podcasts at all, you're familiar uh, with the idea that you know you will have listeners send in voice messages or write uh, write an email with questions or comments. So um, I got two, actually. I got one from the one and only Steve Marcotte. He stepped up to the plate with a voicemail, and it's pretty good stuff, and we'll get to that in a moment. Also, I received a voice message from my friend Luke Summerfield. He sent in a audio clip providing me with some of his thoughts and opinions uh, towards Star Wars and uh, um, the previous Episode 8 and um, and where he thinks the story is going to go in Episode 9. So... Again, thank you guys for doing that. I'm very, very pleased to be able to incorporate those into the show. So yeah, that uh, I kind of think that maybe now I wish that I had more. But, you know, looking at it more closely, I can kind of see that it may be cool to include one or two predictions as a regular part of the show from now until the release of Star Wars Episode Nine. So that might actually work out a little bit better. Some of you may recall that my brother Will and I did an episode together wherein we riffed on our expectations and ideas for The Last Jedi before it came out, and if I recall, we were pretty far away from the mark. Interesting aside, I actually, when I was scripting this, I capitalized Mark there because I was thinking of Mark Hamill as I was writing, and all the looks of disappointment I saw in his face during The Last Jedi as well as in interviews and press releases after the film's initial release. So hmm. anyway, as far as, uh, you know, as far as we uh, are concerned, being off the mark, and I guess in a lot of ways now with Mark, um, I reckon that was likely due to Mr. Ryan subverting your expectations, Johnson. Look, before this dips into sort of a, the negative pole of fandom, potentially, I'd like to say this. There were very clearly many story elements for which Star Wars Episode Seven laid the foundation. I I cannot believe that is not so, and and a lot of our ideas about what was coming were based on what we saw in The Force Awakens. Subverting audience expectations is not a bad thing. That's fine. Um, art has to constantly test the audience and push boundaries and barriers in order to stay fresh and to break new ground. However, it must be said, at least from my part, that blatantly ignoring a setup created by a preceding storyteller doesn't feel like I... It doesn't feel like I'm having my expectations subverted. It feels more like you're trying to to give me the finger and convince me that that's just how you say hello. It's not appreciated, and frankly, it's, it's just rude. Now, on to my next point. No, I don't hate Star Wars now, nor have I at any point condemned this movie. I don't have to be wild about a Star Wars film just to keep my fan club membership. I mean, damn. I I saw the film three times in cinema. I bought the Blu-ray and shelled out hardcore dollars for a chunk of my Episode Eight collection. I am a Star Wars fan, damn it. Did I love The Last Jedi, though? I reckon I didn't. I reckon I did not necessarily care for The Last Jedi. I also reckon that it is my least favorite Star Wars film. But I still fucking love Star Wars. And anyone you ask that knows me will probably tell you um, that you have... uh, If you've come to the conclusion that I dislike Star Wars, that you've made a vast and terribly flawed underestimation of my love for Star Wars. Nah, man. I, I love Star Wars. I know to some people that have they've loved star wars and then just dropped it like a hot potato denouncing it um you know fans know more as it were and look i'm not talking about um you know i'm not talking about the racists and the bigots and the misogynists and the homophobes either you know um they uh they've quote unquote dropped star wars you know uh, only to continuously bash it at every opportunity that that the internet provides now um those folks are a whole separate chapter. Nay, they, they're a whole other book of crazy and unstable. 
I'm talking about your diehard fans who, for for what I believe are justifiable justifiable reasons, they simply feel betrayed by the Last Jedi, and you know it's probably a rough feeling. I have a friend who he falls into that category. While I don't necessarily agree with him on all his points, I do get it, and you know I'm I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna share with you all a more or less paraphrased version of what I said to him. I said, look. Loving Star Wars is its like loving a person. It's like loving a person, developing a relationship with them, and getting married to them. No relationship worth having is going to be perfect, and there are going to be disagreements and, and periods of which you simply would rather not be a part. Plain and simple. If that relationship is strong, though, you stick with it, you, you work through it, and you stay in it. There are rough periods, uh, but on the whole, it's all good, and you're better for it. So, maybe that's a bad analogy, and I have a very poor understanding of romantic love and relationships. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that maybe I don't, but I I am comparing them to Star Wars, you know. Um, still, I thought it made sense. Anyway, anyway, I am happy to say it's time to move into those, um, those voicemails. So, uh, as I said before, we've got one from my dad and one from Mr. Luke Summerfield. Before we get into the voicemails, though, I just want to point out that Luke's another one of those people with whom I've become acquainted over the last several months, and um, you may actually recognize his Instagram handle as at snickdaddy 7 That's actually um, how I met him, was that uh, that Instagram handle uh, making comments on the Blah Wars Instagram page, as, uh, as we are mutual fans, and Blah Wars is, of course, uh, fucking amazing. Star Wars podcast. So if you're not listening to it, definitely make that happen. I um I did notice that Luke specializes in toy photography, though the specialization seems to lean more towards Lego. And if I were you and I was in the habit of following superb advice, I'd head over to Instagram and check it out. He's he's got a keen eye for creative use of lighting. Several of the photographs illustrate that and and uh, I really enjoyed them and I believe that you will too. So Go ahead and do that, and uh, I'm going to dive into these these voicemails, and we're going to start with the one from my dad. Hi, my name is Steve Marcotte. It may sound familiar. I am Grayson Marcotte's dad. He's asked me to give you my predictions for the ninth episode of Star Wars. Well, this is the third in a trilogy, and normally in a trilogy, you would have a resolution first episode, Force Awakens, would have been the introduction to new characters. Second, The Last Jedi would have been the conflict episode, and the third, uh, yet unnamed movie, would give us a resolution. So we have two types of resolutions. We have resolution, as in the case of The Last Jedi, where we saw the birth of Darth Vader. In the second, Return of the Jedi, we saw the death of Darth Vader. And somewhat we thought was uh, the combination of the story of the Skywalker family that they would live happily ever after. In this particular case, with the current meta as it relates to The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, we have a, a difference. So typically what we would see is a resolution of the story at hand. We would have a resolution of the characters presented with the introduction of new characters or old characters to help pull that story through. So if we were to follow the the pattern that we saw in the other two trilogies to date, we would probably see uh, the death of Kylo Ren because he is is the evil one, and we know that we like to see good triumph. We would see the end of the family and with the passing of Carrie Fisher, and we know that we're going to see some more footage of her with Princess Leia, would, would unfortunately go away in this particular feature. And we would see basically the birth of the, the standard bearer of the Skywalker family in some way, uh, that being Rey. And there would be a climactic battle, good versus evil, as there was. And the Return of the Jedi, and we would see some character or characters that we would think would be unfamiliar as to be heroes like the Ewoks would emerge. We know that Carrie Russell will, will be in this feature and that she will have some action role. We're not quite sure what. 
we know that uh, Billy D. Williams will be back in Slando Calrissian, uh, and he's always good to lead a battle. But that said, we have to remember that in these in this particular case, this trilogy is being run by Disney, and Disney is, uh, or we know that Disney wants to move this franchise forward, and in doing so. There are going to be, I think, some things about it that are going to be a little unusual. Uh, and here's where I'm going with that. Uh, this is not my own theory. I was doing some research regarding this and found this theory, and I thought it was great. And it would tie everything together. Uh, as you know, earlier this year, Han Solo came out, which is a standalone prequel regarding Han. And I know myself, I was curious, why do we need to know this backstory? Uh, yes, it's entertaining, it's fun, the action was fun, it was a better movie than I thought it would be. But here is my prediction. In the last movie, we were given the heads up that Ray's parents were nobody. And that was an important part of the movie that anybody could be a Jedi. We saw at the end of the movie the young, the young, uh, boy levitating the broom and we got a sense that hey out there is the resistance and we know that they will come and, and aid where necessary but the theory that I saw on the internet which I thought was great is that Rey is actually the daughter of Han Solo and Kira that ties everything together why have Han Solo in a prequel why introduce Kira uh, all of that uh, the the way that uh, Leia looks at Ray in the movies, all of that tied together. I won't go into it. I, I recommend that you you go ahead and, and look it up and give credit where credit is due to the individual who came up with that theory. But I, I just thought it was brilliant. Uh, and that continues the metaphor and allows the franchise to go forward. Whatever they do with Ray. Uh, which I would I would see her uh, going forward, see Finn going forward, but that just ties everything together. I'm I'm sure we'll see some more retconning, if you will, of these characters going forward in a way to sell the movies. And there, there's nothing against that; they're all entertaining. Disney has a a reason to want to continue this, so I I think it's a, a again a great way to go. Uh, it will be extremely entertaining, and uh, we'll have to wait uh, a year and a half to see what the outcome will be. Uh, again, thanks for listening. Um, take care. Have a good day. Bye. Excellent point, Dad, and I appreciate you taking the time to send that in. I'm not sure how likely that's going to be, but I do love it. I do. I'm very fond of that. Uh, I do have a bit more to say in response to that. And we'll get to that uh, once we are finished up with the next, uh, the next voicemail. So let's see what Luke had to say. Hey, Grayson. It's finally good to get on the show and uh, give you my predictions for Star Wars Episode Nine. Uh, firstly, I think they're going to answer a lot of the questions of why nobody came to help the Resistance while they were on Crate. Um because if you noticed in The Force Awakens, you have all the characters like uh, Snap Wexley. They just totally weren't on screen at all in The Last Jedi. And apparently, I can't remember what book it was in, but they're off um, doing certain missions around the galaxy. And it's going to be interesting to see how nobody, not even Lando, answered the call. And there's got to be a reason. Hopefully, we'll see that how big the First Order actually is. And has it totally taken over the galaxy? Um, I also think that Chewie and the Falcon are going to survive because Disney have just started doing their whole new park with the Falcon's going to be the main feature, so I don't think they're going to kill that off. And, well, Chewie's just Chewie, so you could always get another actor to play Chewie, whereas the, uh, the original trilogy characters are uh, aging rapidly and... We sadly lost Carrie Fisher, so the whole footage of her is going to be interesting that they're uh, rehashing. Um, I'm hoping that there is a bit of a time jump, so 
it gives the characters a bit more time to grow and we can delve into them a bit more. Uh, I think Kylo is going to be stuck in a bit of a, a conflict of interest between his Knights of Ren and General Hux and his First Order army. Uh, so you probably need Ray's help there. I'm hoping um, there's there's something sinister behind this whole Knights of Ren. Like they, uh, if they were trained by Luke, they're gonna be pretty knowledgeable and powerful with the Force. So hopefully we'll have a bit of a conflict between Kylo. Ray and the Knights of Ren and I hope they're not overlooked like they have been in the last two films. I'm thinking that Matt Smith and Dominic Monaghan are going to be part of the Knights of Ren uh, with Matt Smith probably being like the ringleader now that with Kylo's absence he's sort of taken over the role as their leader and it, I think it's all we're going to see a lot more of Vader's castle because I think that's where the Knights of Ren are going to be hanging around and that's going to be their little uh, fortress. I'd also like to see um, Chewbacca and Kylo confront each other. Not not in a sense where one of them has to kill each other. Where If Chewie didn't care about Kylo, he would have shot him probably in the head because Chewie's pretty accurate with a bowcaster. So he shoots... Kylo in the side after he sadly kills Han Solo. So I'm hope I just I would love to see them come face to face again. Like like um Kylo's trying to redeem himself, so he's trying to be good. So obviously there'll be that conflict between them. But Chewie is such a nice guy that nice guy. A nice creature that <laughs> he he would sort of forgive him in a sense in memory of Han. I uh, also think we're gonna Definitely find out a bit more about Ray's parents, and it looks pretty obvious that Carrie Russell could be either playing Ray's mum or Ray in the future, like a sort of if she has another one of those flashbacks, but flash forwards. Um, I think there's going to be a mystery around Ray being pregnant, and also that she's got a few force users that she's started to train because i think there will be this time jump probably not uh broom boy she's gonna pass on what she has learned i think that she is the future um i also think we're gonna have luke return but not in the physical form at all it's gonna be more like gandalf the white Whereas he's he's going to be there to serve the purpose of helping bring the balance. Like the father in the Mortis trilogy in Clone Wars. Whereas Luke would be the, the, the in-between balance of the dark and the light. I don't know how it's going to work. It's just some mad thing I'm thinking in my head. I'm hoping there's a lot of good footage of Leia. Because... I think when during Film of the Force Awakens, um, when Harrison Ford broke his leg, I think a lot of The Force Awakens was heavily changed. And I think there's going to be a lot of footage. Who knows what direction the film was originally going in, so it'd be interesting to see. As for Finn and Poe, I think they're going to be on a little quest to gather... Well, a bit of an army because there's not much of the resistance left. And hopefully they're travelling around trying to free their friends for that big overall galaxy battle of till the you know, till the end to if this is the last ever Star Wars film, it has to go out on a bang. And it's gotta be a big bang. There's a there's a massive pair of boots for JJ Abrams to fill with the whole backlash of The Last Jedi. And something pretty special has to happen in that cinema next December. Fingers crossed.
we all enjoy it. And hopefully I'll be back on again soon with more predictions. I'm currently recording this while sitting in my van and having lunch. Take care, mate. Ah, Luke, thank you for that uh, that voicemail. I definitely appreciate it. And I do agree with you that Chewie probably did not mean to be going for a killing shot with Kylo. I, I do think that that's probably true. And if we don't see an interaction between Chewie and Kylo in the next film, I probably will be a little disappointed. Um, I mean, I could see why maybe we wouldn't get there, but I do think that that would be an excellent moment for those characters. Also, I think you make a fair point about Snap Wexley. I have read quite a number of books and novels since Disney reset the expanded universe canon, as it were, and I vaguely recall him being elsewhere, as you mentioned, um, though I don't remember exactly where. The actor who portrayed Wexley, Greg Grunberg, he does seem to be a frequent collaborator with J.J. Abrams, so I do believe we will see him in Episode Nine. Um so, yeah, that all brings me back to my feelings about The Last Jedi and, and how so many uh, aspects of The Force Awakens seem to have been totally ignored in an effort to, quote-unquote, subvert our expectations. Dad, I think that the idea that Rey could be Han's daughter makes so much sense. It, I mean, it really does, not it? it seems to have been set up rather well. Again, I, I don't think that's the case, but I can definitely see it working. I don't think you really have to perform too many uh, mental gymnastics or retcons to make it so. I know a lot of people say something to the effect of, you know, Leia would know if he had another kid or if she had had another kid. Um, but uh, but if it were Kira, you know, obviously Leia would know. And, and people say that Rey is, is too old, but here's the thing. We don't know that we're not getting more solo films that would put us closer to a timeline, um, you know, that would make Ray's birth a little bit more, uh, you know, she would be a little bit more age appropriate. So um, there likely won't be anything like that before episode nine drops. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. I think that Alden Ehrenreich and Donald Glover are, I believe they're contracted to, excuse me, contracted to, um, to further appearances as those characters. But that could, you know, that could be anything. That could be uh, a cartoon. Uh, video uh, video games, I don't know if those two things cross over as far as contracts are concerned. Um, but, you know, I mean, it, anything could go in that arena. So I'm just going to leave that there um, before I really get to rambling. So back to your point, Luke, about the Knights of Ren, I would be quite keen to see Matt Smith in that kind of adversarial role. I think that would be be really cool. I do get that, that Ryan Johnson saw no place for them in his movie, but it was also just one more thing that, that could have served to make things feel a little bit more cohesive between episode seven and, and episode eight. Um, perhaps they could have served as the Praetorian guard, you know, uh, nearly anything like that would have worked. I think either way, I'd like to say, um, I'd like to say thanks again, you guys, dad, Luke, I appreciate your insight into star Wars. Of course, uh, all of us being huge fans of Star Wars, I, I really appreciate you um, giving me your, your thoughts and opinions. And and uh, hopefully we'll get many more emails and voicemails featuring Episode 9 predictions from all you guys. Um, again, you can fire off an email to me at uh, sgcardsandtoys. Um, that's that's uh, no ampersand there. That's and spelled out sgcardsandtoys at gmail.com. Or you can look us up on Instagram. Uh, by the handle at SG Cards and Toys. And, you know, finally, you, you can always feel free to message us on Facebook anytime as well. Well, that about wraps up this episode, ladies and gentlemen. It has been a blast creating this new show for you, and hopefully I can maintain a consistent level of equal or better content. Thanks again to my dad and to Luke for uh, sharing their thoughts with us. Since the recording of this show, the actual trailer for Captain Marvel did drop, so please write in and tell us what you think about that. Was Did it look good? Uh, did it make the film look appealing? Would you take it or leave it, or are you dying to see it? Let us know. Once more, I've been your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte, and thank you for listening to the Sleeping Giant Podcast.
Let me try to put on a sick suit. Hang on. <laughs> that <sounds stupid. laughs> Is that the one you want to keep? No. Okay. 